You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. I want to ask you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7, starting at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The words of the Lord. Well, darkness is an interesting thing. A lot of times we think that darkness isn't a, a tangible substance. It's not something that we can feel or see. It's really just the absence of light. But as I think about darkness, a lot of times it really doesn't feel like that's the case. I mean, we know that that's the truth, but it sure doesn't feel like that. Now, I put myself back thinking about darkness to when I was pretty young. When I was in elementary school, I was really scared of the dark, as I'm sure a lot of us are, and maybe some of us still are. The darkness was terrifying. I mean, I remember having a light switch. I would, I would switch it off and then, with as few steps as possible, dive right into bed and cover myself with my blanket just to be safe. And I'd, I'd look out into the corners of my room and, you know, see those shadows and maybe that sweatshirt that was draped just right over my chair. And then my mind would start coming up with these crazy, scary images. I mean, I remember thinking about the, there's that one scene in the Polar Express where there's like this puppet. That terrified me. And oh man, as I look into the dark corner, I just imagine the, the dentist coming for me. I, I couldn't handle it. And so I would take my blanket and I would cover myself, but also... Bless our hearts, my parents, they had a rule. They believed that there would be like too much carbon dioxide if I had it all the way over my head. So being the rule follower that I was, I, I put it all the way and I would just wrap it around my face. And I would just sit there. My dad, as he'd come around, just kind of check on things to make sure the house was secure. He'd see me asleep and he'd call me his little shepherd boy. He says, I, I have my blanket trying to cover myself from the darkness. And we look back on that and we laugh we remember those times when we were scared of the dark, but as I think to even today, that fear of the dark, we say we're over it, but I don't think we are. 
Sure, the, the literal dark may not always inspire fear or pain, but I'm sure all of us can attest there's still darkness in this world. And maybe we say we're not afraid of it because deep down we are all actually a lot more afraid of that darkness. The darkness that feels like it's covering us, it's surrounding us, that there's nowhere we can go when things in our life fall apart, when we lose loved ones, when hardship takes hold. It feels as though darkness is suffocating us, that there is no light, and maybe we even forget what the light looked like in the first place. See, darkness, it is a tangible, real, and fearful thing. And we try to cover ourselves with our securities, with our metaphorical blanket wrapping ourselves and just hoping that maybe we can make it through the night. But as we dive into this text, we get to take a chance in the midst of this world that is full of darkness to remember the light that God has brought into the world and the light that has come and will come. Now, in the book of Isaiah, we see a people who are right at this point. They are surrounded and covered in darkness. I mean, we take the start of verse 1. It says, There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought in contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So there's someone, her, she's in anguish, and she's in contempt the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's, it's kind of confusing there at the beginning. There's a lot of these, these big phrases. So Let's just take a step back and start to understand more of the context of the story. We've taken the book, we've opened it up, and we're like right in the middle. So let's follow this thread all the way back and understand how we got here. Now, when it says there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish, that her, that's Israel. That's the kingdom, uh, God's people. They are divided into a northern and southern kingdom at this point. But it starts all the way back with a man named Jacob. Now, Jacob... He was a son of some of the people that God had promised to. But Jacob, his name got changed to Israel. That's where we get the nation's name. And he had 12 sons. These 12 sons became 12 tribes. And they lived in the land of Canaan. They moved to the land of Egypt. And then we all know God delivered his people out of Egypt. Here's kind of a, a picture of God sending his people out of Egypt. Well, then they wandered in the wilderness for a bit. And then eventually God brought them all the way in to the land of Canaan. Now there, God continued to bring deliverance. He didn't just stop. He drove out the people before them and he divided the land. Now you see that map. There's a lot of different colors, but that is the tribal allotment of the land of Israel. So remember, Jacob had those 12 sons. They became 12 tribes and they divided the land to look just like that. Now we'll get back to why that is significant, but I just want you to be able to have in your mind kind of what things looked like. I don't know, I'm a little bit more of a visual learner and being able to understand what things looked like back then can help me understand better what the text is saying to us today. Now, as that land was divided, there were still these other people groups. These people groups had pagan idolatry and God said, no, 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 you are my people. You are not to mix with these people. You're not to follow their gods or their idols. But we see time and time again, the Israelites turning away from God and choosing these idols, these pagan practices. See, Israel had a problem. They kept seeing things that they desired and they saw it as good, 
And so what they saw and they wanted, they followed. In Judges 21, 25, kind of the theme of the book of Judges, it says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's kind of the start of where we are right here. As we look to this thread and we come all the way back, we see the people doing what was right in their own eyes. That's not a good thing. Now, there was no king in those days. See, God was their king. He was their deliverer. He brought them out of Egypt and he said, I'm going to be with you and protect you and provide for you. And against the the desires of the people, even though they wanted their own things, God continued to be faithful and be with them and provide for them. Now, we see God raising up different people in this time of the judges. You've heard of people like Samson, Gideon. We'll get back to him and why he'll be important for our story today. But eventually, the people saw all these other nations around them, and they said, you know what? They have something we don't have. They have a king. Now, hold on. God was their king. The people... They should have been resting in God as their king, but no, they, they saw what they wanted. They desired it, and they came to this man named Samuel, right, another prophet. And they said, hey, we want a king. Now, this hurt Samuel because he knew what they were doing. He knew that they were not just asking for a king. They were rejecting the true king that they had guiding them. As we see in Samuel 8, chapter 7, Samuel's asking of the Lord, what does this mean? And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So now the people who did what was right in their own eyes have rejected the God that delivered them. That right there is a recipe for disaster. And sure, God did follow what they want. He rose up a king, gave them Saul, who we all know wasn't the best king. After him came David, a a great king, a man after God's own heart. But eventually, David still, he was fallen, a broken man. He had a son, Solomon. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And right then and there, that land of Israel split into two, with a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And that right there is where we begin our story today. We've seen how the people, they did what was right in their own eyes. They rejected the God who had delivered them. And now they are facing the consequences of that action. Darkness is coming. This is a fearful place for the people of Israel. So we're in chapter 9 of Isaiah, but... Biblical texts, they didn't have these chapters and verses and all of the grammatical parts that we have and we see. You know, we divide it into a chapter, but it was really just one continuous document. So let's take chapter 9 and let's just take a little step right before and look at chapter 8. Because chapter 8 has some very important things that will lead us right in to chapter 9. So in Isaiah chapter 8 verses 21 through 22, it says this. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. So they did what was right in their own eyes, right? They chose to follow their own desires, and now they've rejected God. Verse 22, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. 
See, right here, God is judging his people. He's bringing forth justice. He's saying, hey, you desired this, I'm going to let you go. If you want this, I'm going to give you to what you have desired. You've rejected me, and so as a loving father, I'm going to discipline you and give you over to the desires of your heart. And with that came a great force of darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but I also know that that, while maybe the story of the Israelites is also my story. I have chosen time and time again to do what I thought was right, what I saw was good, what I felt like I desired. And that only left me in deep darkness. When I exchange the truth about God for a lie, when I say, this is more important, when I forget the promises that he has for me and what he's done for me and I choose to follow my own desires, it only leads to deep darkness. Now, as God is judging his people, there is a darkness that is coming. And that darkness is coming in the form of the nation of Assyria. Now, Assyria is coming in from the north to bring justice upon Israel through God's almighty sovereign plan. If you look on this map here, you see the Assyrian empire, and they would have come from that northern area straight down into Israel. Now, this nation of Assyria, they weren't just like a, a happy conquering group. This is one of the worst, most terrible, evil, vilest, wretched people. They were torturers. They would come in, they would raise a city, destroy it completely, steal all that was held dear. You would lose everything that you loved, everyone that you loved. You would be captive. You lost your identity as a nation. You were thrust into true and thick darkness. The Israelites, they know that the nation of Assyria is coming. Now, as we're reading this passage, remember, we get to chapter 9, and it talks about how there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. So now we've identified what this anguish is, the gloom, the darkness that is there. But it also talked about the, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now, remember I had that map of the tribal allotments. Let's zoom in a little bit closer all the way up at the top. There you see the Sea of Galilee. You also see kind of there in the orange, Naphtali, and then in the darker color, Zebulun, up there at the north. Now, what's really interesting at this point, the Assyrians, as they're coming in through the north, they would have walked through first the land of Naphtali, and the land of Zebulun. This is ground zero for where darkness has entered. This is the point where darkness has crept in and is now holding the nation captive. And that would be a really hard place to stop. Thinking about the people of Israel, maybe even thinking about my heart. It's just, it's right. I deserved the darkness. I deserved the place that I had brought myself into. But that's not the story. Out of our God's abundant love, he didn't leave us in the darkness that we deserved. But instead, he brought deliverance. 
and a beautiful, wonderful hope that comes with it. So let's read verses one through three. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, buckle up here, because this hope that we have here is incredible. We deserved the darkness that we were in, just as the land of Israel did. But where darkness first set in, God has brought forth a glorious light. Now, the Israelites, they longed for freedom from the Assyrians, but God didn't bring freedom from the Assyrians. The Babylonians came. They longed for freedom from the Babylonians. God didn't bring freedom from the Babylonians. Empire after empire after empire, eventually the Romans are in control and the Israelites are still longing for freedom. But God, he knew that there was a deeper darkness, a deeper captivity than just the physical. He was bringing forth not just physical light, physical freedom, but true light. And see, this passage right here at the beginning in Isaiah is actually echoed and quoted directly in the book of Matthew. So real quick, if you can, put your finger in your Bible and turn over to Matthew 4, verses 12 through 13. Actually, I'm going to read through 17. It says this, now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that was what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, where darkness first appeared, God has now brought forth light. And from this, we can clearly see that God's kingdom brings light. See, what God is trying to tell us here is that there was something deeper than the captivity that the Israelites were facing. And sure, one day he would save the entire earth and raise up his perfect kingdom and tear down every kingdom that stood against his own. But first, God is showing us something here. There was a darkness that we didn't even realize, the darkness of our own hearts. And just as darkness entered at that very same geographical location, Christ first came to show us that he is bringing forth light. Now, this light, it is true. It is real and it is saving. God's light casts out 
all darkness. And Christ, in his work, came to deliver us. And so there we ask, if God's kingdom ushers in light, what exactly does that light do? Well, as we continue in this passage of Isaiah, the Lord shows us what he is going to do as he brings in this kingdom of light. So let's look at verses four and five. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, if you're an Israelite, right, and you're hearing this, Isaiah is probably speaking it and people are probably saying it with their mouth. You're hearing this. It is rolling like a movie in your mind. Just imagine thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these horrible soldiers marching towards you. You could hear the thundering of their footsteps for miles. What a fearful thing that would be. Now, I know a lot of us, we can't quite appreciate or understand how terrifying that would be that your nation, your very identity is now at stake. These torturers, these horrible, vile conquerors are coming to take over your land. That would be hard for us to understand. We're living here in comfort in the United States of America. I mean, I guess I think of the movie Red Dawn in the 80s, and then they had a, had a new one, but essentially these high schoolers They walk out of their house one day and they look and the sky is filled with paratroopers of a conquering nation coming to take over their town and their nation. The sky is black with army soldiers paratrooping into the United States. That's kind of the same idea that the Israelites are facing. And so as they're reading this passage, they understand the gravity of the darkness. They understand these war images but they also understand the true freedom that God is bringing. Out of their fear, God is taking care of them and saying, I have hope for you. I'm not gonna give up on you. Although I brought you into darkness because of your own desires, because of the way that you rejected me, I'm gonna bring freedom too. And what's beautiful here, we understand that God's kingdom, it brings liberation. It brings freedom. And what's so cool is that God says that I am going to do it myself. Not by the strength of man, not by man's power. God says that I am going to do it. Now, there's a really small thing right here in these two verses. And if you read it too fast, you're going to miss it. But the Israelites, they'd hear it and they would know exactly what it meant right when it was said. God said that he is going to bring freedom as on the day of Midian. Now for us as just casual readers, we may not understand what that means, the day of Midian. And to understand that, we'd have to go back to the book of Judges. Remember that time they came out of Egypt, they wandered through the wilderness, they came into the land, and God helped his people conquer the land. But there were still those people fighting them. God rose up some judges, some deliverers. And there was a guy named Gideon. Now, I know a lot of us, at least I did at one point, I understood Gideon to be someone that I wanted to be like. But 
The story of Gideon is not saying that message at all. Gideon is not someone we should aspire to be like. I know sometimes we look at the, the signs of the fleece and what he did there, but at the end of the day, Gideon is nothing but a coward. He's found hiding, and God calls him there. God first gives him a mission, and Gideon's scared to do it in front of people, so he does it in the dark. And then eventually it's found out, and then God still continues in that mission of delivering his people, but Gideon is so fearful, and he doesn't believe the God that has spoken directly to him that he tests his God twice. But God is patient because God is doing something here. Then Gideon assembles this humongous army, thousands and thousands of soldiers, and God says, nope, that's not gonna do. That's too strong. He whittles them down, he whittles them down again, and Gideon ends up with 300 soldiers facing an army that was described with their camels as sand on the seashore. So here we have this coward with 300 men facing an army like sand on the seashore. And God is saying, I'm gonna do this. You are not gonna be strong enough, even with all of your strength, to save yourself. I am going to bring this deliverance. And right there, I just wanna make a quick point. The story of Gideon, and I think all throughout scripture, it illustrates something that God does. He says, the broken, the weak, the unworthy, that's who I'm gonna use. Not the one who you think is strong, not the one who you think is the best. I'm gonna use the broken. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, man, there's no way God could use me. I, I'm too much of a coward. I, I don't trust him enough. Maybe you're saying, man, I've been through way too much I'm just damaged goods. There's, there's no purpose that God could have for someone like me. But that's the thing. You are exactly who God wants to use for his kingdom. His power is made perfect in your weakness and is magnified. It's not always about the size of your faith. It's about the size of the God that you have faith in. And the story of Gideon there shows us, man, God's strength is what matters. And he wants to use us for him. Well, let's bring it right back into the book of Isaiah. So now we kind of understand what the, the day of Midian talks about, right? Because the Midianites were that army that Gideon faced. And that story shows that it's not our strength that God uses. So all of this, this freedom, this liberation, you know, God's kingdom, it brings liberation and it is brought through his power. And man, it was a dark situation. Hope was lost. All of the forces of darkness had surrounded us. We were in the deepest part of the darkness. The enemy had his strongest armies of the powers and principalities all formed against us. And God brought an answer. And how does God bring about this great victory, this great freedom? How does he fight and win and conquer for his kingdom? We go to verse six. For to us, a child is born. 
to us a son is given. Again, God is saying, I'm not going to come in this powerful display. He could. But he takes on our weakness. And he brings about a greater freedom than we had even dared to hope. He came as a lowly child to magnify his power and to show us there is a deeper issue at stake. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him who knew no, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ, he came and he took on our weakness. He took on our flesh and he lived the life that we were supposed to live. And then he humbled himself and was obedient to death on the cross, taking the punishment of that darkness that we chose, that we deserved. He died on our account. And if you're sitting here and you don't know the hope of that glorious gospel, if you've never taken the chance to sit and realize what God has done for you, the freedom that he wants to offer, I urge you, consider the cross, consider the gospel. He extends it freely. He died for our sakes. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our account. He died and rose again. I urge you, if you've never put your hope and trust in Christ, I urge you today, give him your life, make him Lord. This gift of grace that he gives, this freedom from darkness that he gives, it is free, but it is also costly. He says, I'm giving you new life, but you have to make me the Lord of your life. Believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You take the crown off of your head and you put it at his feet. And man, from that light that he gives, he brings forth true light, true liberation in our hearts. And Christian, today I urge you as well, preach to yourself the gospel. Remember that you are free from darkness and you now live in his glorious light. Now from here, we see that God's kingdom it's light. God's kingdom brings liberation. But now we see that this is not like a kingdom of man. God's kingdom is different because God's kingdom is lasting. Let's pick it up again at verse 6. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. What hope. In this Advent season, we don't just get to look back at the hope of what Christ has done, but we get to long for the hope of what he's going to do, of this kingdom that is coming. 
We long for his second coming. We long for when all things will be made right. In Revelation 21, we get a picture of what this kingdom will be. Starting at verse 1, the Apostle John writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Oh, Christians, what a hope there is there. Someday our God will make everything right and his kingdom will last forever. It will never fail. And God will be with us forever. And here in this passage, God is saying, I'm bringing light. I'm bringing liberation. My kingdom's gonna last. And you just get to sit back and rejoice. You just get to sit back and watch what I'm going to do because we see this last line of verse seven. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Wow. God is saying, I am going to do all of this. You just get to hope. You just get to rejoice and wait for all that I'm going to do. And I know right now it feels like you're in darkness. Sometimes we have happy seasons. Sometimes they're pretty dark. And you may have forgotten what even the feeling of light is. You may not even remember or think that the sun on your face is real. But there's hope. We have past hope in what Christ has done. We have future hope in what God is going to do. But there is hope right here in the present. Christ said in Matthew 28, verse 20, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It may be a dark night. Even in this Christmas season, that may be bringing up some very painful memories for you. But know that God is near. I urge you, cry out to him. Long for his coming, but cry out to him right here, right now. We may be shivering in darkness, longing for the light. We may be covering ourselves with our, our little blankets of security and just hoping someday our Father's going to come in, turn on the lights. Today, as we look in Isaiah, we see God has brought light through the coming of His Son. And someday we can hope and long for the day when Light is going to come and come forever. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.